you can't see. I bring you greetings from Mount Airy Presbyterian Church, uh, especially John Horst. Some of you especially know him. He's played piano in small groups. And we are so thankful for God's kindness to you. Pastor soon. I had a chance a couple times to meet with Rick, and I've appreciated that. Um, we're in the same process. It's almost been two years now, and we have an interim pastor with interim pastoral ministries. And so uh, we trust that God will uh, bring us a new pastor soon. Um, I've been in ministry now uh, of different kinds, almost for 50 years. I'm close to it now, and um, I'm officially becoming honorable at the end of this year. Well, hopefully it's honorably, at least retired. Uh, but I'll still be working uh, like five hours for the church, uh, at least till the next so just doing visiting and things like that. Um, as I come to you today, I am... Some of you, as you've gotten together with your family around a table, maybe have talked about memories of the past. We talked about, um, particularly at our table, but we had a nephew who died this year, young, and uh, we spoke about a particular story about him and uh, remembered, my memory isn't so good anymore. Um, but I do remember when I was five years old. And when I was five, my mother one day, we were home alone, she said, I'm going to leave for a while and go to the neighbor's house. And she left, and I waited for a while, and of course I was only five, and so it might have only been in a minute or two, but it seemed like a long time. And I started looking around for her, and she hadn't come back yet. I remember going outside, and we went down the steps to our house, and down the sidewalk, and right at the end of the sidewalk, the grass was one step higher. There was a little step before you came to the sidewalk that went perpendicular, and I sat there, and I looked around, and I was waiting for my mom. And after a while, she didn't show up. And I, I just started crying. Mommy! Mom! You know, this man came by, and he said, Little boy, what's wrong? And I said, my mommy's left me, and she doesn't love me anymore. And thankfully, about a minute later, she showed up, and everything was just fine. And as far as I know, I haven't been scarred for life by the incident. <laughs> but you may have had a similar experience as a child. And yes, even as a child of God, a Christian, one who's trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, and now you've become one of his adopted sons or daughters. But the truth is, for all of us, that there may be times amidst all the trouble and trial and tribulation that we face this side of heaven, when you may have at least cried out in your mind, my Lord has forsaken me, 
my Lord has forgotten me. Stephen Mueller writes, it's not uncommon for us to think at times that the Lord has forgotten us. Where is the job I've been praying for so long? Where is the godly spouse from whom I've been searching? As well as numerous other instances which you have that would cause you to get discouraged and wonder if God has forgotten you. As we open the scriptures this morning, that is the state that we find God's people, the Israelites, in the Old Testament. They were believers, and as we think of this this morning, as we're going to look at the scripture, they were caught by the hardness of their own sinful hearts. They had rebelled against God and they chose to worship and seek the promised blessings of the nations around them. Therefore, God eventually, because they refused to repent and come back to him, sent the Babylonian Empire to capture them, to tear down their cities and the city walls that they thought would protect them. They didn't look to God. And they carried them away into captivity, into slavery. And they were wondering, does God still care for us? And in the chapter we're going to look at, in the previous verses, God had promised them salvation, a Messiah. God had promised them there would be a time when their nation would be restored, when they repent but they couldn't believe it. And as we look at it today, even in their stubborn rebellion, God is giving them a great message of hope and comfort, but it was hard for them to believe that they could be saved because their lives were so hard. So if you open to chapter 49 of Isaiah, we're going to start with verse 13 where God is calling them to do something that seems impossible amidst their difficulties. And sometimes amidst our difficulties, we might get to church, but boy, it's hard to sing. Because all we can see is the problems. We don't know there's a way out. We struggle. Hopefully, that's not you today, but there are those times where you didn't even really want anybody to ask how you're doing. Because you really couldn't tell them. And if you sat down to listen, you wonder if anybody would really care. So listen to God's message to the Israelites in that difficult situation. God's message to you when you face one too. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people. He will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion, another name for Israel, God's people. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that 
she would have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. Let us pray. Our Father in God, would you make this word live to our hearts? We need it. Thankfully, it's not most of our days that we struggle like that, but there are for all of us those times with like little children, even your beloved children. We wonder, do you really care? Have you forgotten us? Have you forsaken me? I don't see a way out. Is there hope? And how we thank you, Lord, that you have given us all these pictures in your word, your words to us, your people. It would help us sing again because we understand these truths. Soften our hearts, not just to hear them, but soften our hearts. Help us underline them with our pens and in our minds for those times because they will come amidst all the trials and trouble and tribulations this side of heaven. But how we thank you that you have given us these words that we would not only have hope, but joy, even in our Savior Jesus, for we pray in his name. Well, we're going to look at Isaiah 49, 13 first, the first verse, where if I would summarize it, it says, to God's people, break forth in singing, for God has promised you his comfort and com- compassion amidst all your afflictions. Look at the verse with me, Isaiah 49, 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Even though God's people, even though we sometimes rebel, He has given them such great news that indeed there is a Messiah, a Savior to come, and Jesus who will restore and return his people unto himself. Listen to another prophet, and you'll understand this this, uh, scripture because you hear it a lot, a part of this, but we don't always think of it in context. That it was written again to a people who were in captivity and slavery. They were difficult, hard times. They had been ripped from their homelands and their loved ones. Many had died on the trip. They had little where they were. But the prophet Isaiah says again, I have not forgotten you. Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you and bring my promise and bring you back to these places. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You've probably seen that verse on a plaque somewhere, right? Or you might have underlined it, but you forget the context of it, right? The context is in such unbelievable difficulty. But God says it's there that I haven't left you. There is hope. There is a way out. I still care for you. For I know I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from the place from which I sent you into exile. We can't imagine that God would call us to sing in the midst of those hard times, to worship. But he says, I've got it in control. Your Savior hasn't left you. Well, let's go on to 49, Isaiah 49, 14, the next verse, because, and this is, I think, a joyous part of understanding God's word. He puts reality here for us. He shows us what his people indeed go through at different times. Do you hear it? 49, 14, but Zion, Israel, God's people, the believers said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. For in the midst of suffering and difficulties, God's people indeed do struggle at times And we doubt his care and compassion. Let me read now from John Calvin, that old dusty reform guy that you think, he's just that tough guy, those tulip things aren't reformed. Listen to him. Listen to him here. Listen to how he writes to our souls. We forget this. He says this about this passage. When God delays his assistance, We are fearfully distressed and tormented. For we think he has forgotten and rejected us. Amidst these doubts, our unbelief is manifested and exposed by our not relying on the promises of God. So as to bear patiently either the chastisements by which God urges us to repentance or the trials of faith by which he trains us to patience, or any afflictions by which he humbles us. Yet I know that there must be very few of us who have not, at one time or another, and how tenderly he says this, I would say this, who have one time and not sinfully, but he says it this way, even John Calvin, at one time or not another, not naughtily, whispered to our own heart, if we've not said it aloud, Jehovah hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. Even our brother, King David, remember how he's spoken about multiple times in the scripture as what? A man after God's own heart, listen to his own words in Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How could this be true of a man of God's own heart? How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? All the day? famous preacher from old Charles Spurgeon said this as he was commenting. He says, 
does the vine say, the vine dresser has forsaken me because he prunes me so sharply? If you have grapes, you won't have very many unless you cut and rip away that which isn't good. Plant, I've never been a plant. I don't think they have feelings or say anything, but they probably wouldn't like it at first. I'm losing that juice. Wait a minute. Those are my leaves. What are you doing? It hurts. But that's how you produce more grapes. Does the invalid say to the physician has forgotten me because he gives me such bitter medicine? Yeah, we've wondered about our parents, right? We're sick when we're kids. Now, now everything tastes good. It's hard to find bitter medicine. But I remember when I was young, of course, you know, I had to hike through snowdrifts and all that kind of stuff back then, and bare feet uphill to go to school. But medicine did taste bitter, right? And you were sick, and your mom goes, it's you go, right? It's horrible, but you needed it to get better. When God brings bitterness in our life to get us better, we complain. He says, shall the patient beneath the knife say to the surgeon, hath forsaken me because he cuts even to the bone? That's what you have to do to get rid of cancer so often. And it hurts. And there's stitches. And there's recovery. But there's life. You see at once there's no reasonableness about such talk. So dismiss it at once when you say the Lord has forgotten or forsaken me. Judge not the Lord by outward providences any more than by feeble sense, but trust him even when you can see no trace of his goodness to you. Let God be true in every circumstance as well as every man a liar, for God must keep his promise to his people. Well, there's lots of wonderful promises in the Bible to God's people, but look at the next one. Because it's tender and true and goes beyond anything we know in this world. God sure promised to you. Isaiah 49, 15. Look, at, look, at, look in your word. Look at the Bible. What God says to you. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these will forget, yet... I will not forget you. Boy, how kind of our God to give us such a picture. One of the most tender there can be in all of life of a mother holding her little child, looking into the eyes, the child looking in her eyes, and she's literally giving her child to live life with her milk. And as she's holding him and caring for her nursing child, And it seems to us beyond comprehension that such a woman would not have compassion on her child or forget him. But indeed, that does happen. That's why governments have to have organizations like CPS, Child Protection Services. Because there are women who, because of their own hard hearts or difficulties of life, leave their children. There's stories in Los Angeles of newborn babies being found in porta potties. Even in the Bible, there's three instances 
where it talks about under difficult circumstances the horrible thing of mothers would do to their children. Listen to this one description in 2 Kings 6, 28 and 29 where the king goes by these two women who are having this grotesque dispute. The king of Israel under the siege from Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, went by a woman and asked her, what's your trouble? And she answered, this woman over here said to me, give your son that we might eat him today and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And the next day I said to her, give me your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Hard to believe, isn't it? But not under war and famine and seeking to survive. Though in this sinful world, women at due times do forget their nursing children, God will not ever forsake you who are his. Listen to our brother David when he came to his right mind and trusted his God. When he had said he had forsaken them, he came back and says this in Psalm 27. When my father and my mother forsake me, says David, the Lord will take me up. The Lord will never forsake me. Well, God does not just make a promise. We forget things, don't we? (laughs) Boy, I more and more. We use a whiteboard at our house. (laughs) To write down what's for the day. Get ourselves straight. We forget. What do we have to bring? What do we have to take? Ah, We're tired of coming home and (laughs) making the return trip because we've forgotten it. So God writes on our hearts. Gives us a sign in our minds. He doesn't just give us a promise, but he gives us a picture and a sign. A gracious sign and proof of his promise. Never to forget you are his children by faith. And that's in the last verse for today, Isaiah 49, 16, where God says to you, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God's emphasizing this. He wants you to remember. He says, Behold. Do you remember some of you when your teachers we're getting you ready for a final exam. And they took a day or two to review the whole semester's material for you. And I really liked it when the teacher did this. I needed it. Maybe it's the only reason I passed some of the tests. But as the teacher was reviewing, she said, or he said, now if I were you, I would pay special attention to what I'm going to say next because it's going to be on the test. I wrote those down. Well, that's what God's saying here. Behold! You need this. So, child of God, when you at times may doubt the love of your heavenly Father, pay special attention to what He is going to tell you next, which is, 
I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. If he had just written it, it can be worn away. Right? I remember I was at a presbytery meeting a couple weeks ago and somebody had said something and I didn't have any paper, so I wrote it down in my hand. Right? And I went home and I thought, I've got to remember what that was. It was gone. <laughs> and it's gone. I don't remember what, what, what happened, what I was supposed to do. Or the child, you know, you come home and your child comes home from school and they somehow got one of those little stick-on tattoos that can be thankfully washed away, but you come home and they've got a tattoo and you're going, what? How did my kid get a tattoo? But thankfully it can be washed away. But that's not true of tattoos, is it? They're inscribed, they're cut, they're marked. Of the Ten Commandments, they were chiseled into the stone. God says the mark of his love is cut. His love for you is cut and chiseled, not like a child's tattoo that soon wears away, but is so important that it's permanently inscribed. Now, I've, because of a PCA pastor who does evangelism this way in tough places, he purposely goes where people have two tattoos and he asks them about them. And you know, one of the things he's found out is they want to tell you because they've inscribed them. They, they're, they're like a billboard. And they want to tell you something about a life, someone or something or something that's happened that they don't want to forget. I was at a doctor's office recently, and as we were, receptionist took me down the hall, I couldn't see any of her tattoos, but her, her wrist was sticking out. It was all orange. I thought it was an orange wristband, but when she went back and sat me down, I was leaving, her sleeve went up, and it was a tattoo. So I asked her, well, what is that? What does it mean? And, and she said, thanks for asking. And she had a bunch of them, things she wanted to remember. She had the sports teams from Baltimore, pictures of the Raven and the Oriole. And she had all kinds of other things, but the last one she showed me, it was a picture of a betta fish. And that kind of shocked me. I wondered, is fish? Is she a Christian? No. When she grew up with her sister, the only pet they were allowed to have was a fish. And they would come home from school, feed the betta fish, and together watch it and look at it. Care for their fish. They didn't pet it much or hold it. They did that every day. And she says, now that we're grown up, the only thing that my sister and I have in common is our remembrance about our care for our betta fish. And she said, thanks for asking. And she had that inscribed. Because she didn't want to forget there was a time when she was close to her sister. Brothers and sisters rejoice in Christ because God has permanently engraved upon his hands. Not just your name. What does Isaiah 49, 13 say? Look at it. He has engraved what on his hands? What? You! 
He didn't just put Mark Opeka. He put you, Mark. He put you, Dottie Bowman. You, not just your name. Charles Spurgeon preached this to his congregation. I want him to preach it to you today so you understand God's promise to you. No one can write upon the hand of God but God himself. Our merits couldn't do it. Our prayers couldn't do it. Our repentance couldn't do it. Our faith couldn't do us. Nothing can write our names there. Nor did blind chance or mere necessity or fate inscribe our names. But the living hand of the living God, our Father, unprompted by anything except his spontaneous and omnipotent love of his own heart, wrote the names of his people on his hands. But look closely, brother and sister in Christ, for it's not just your name, but your image. And not just an outline or a sketch, but all of your circumstances, your sins, your temptations, your weaknesses, your wants, and works, everything about you along with all of your concerns, just as if you are there. The most tender part of his hands. The palms. Not just one, but two. Never to be forgotten. Never to be unseen. Our brother David said this, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now God our Father is what? He's a spirit. (laughs) He doesn't have hands. (laughs) But he talks that way to us. It's called anthropomorphically. Woohoo! What a big word. It means talking like he's a man. So sometimes it talks about God's arms of his right arm of strength. His, you're upon his heart. God the Father is the Spirit. He doesn't have all those things, but he tenderly talks to us that way so we can relate to him. But he did even more, didn't he? Because he put flesh to those hands. And he engraved the hands of the flesh of his only son who never sinned. And those hands and his feet and his side were engraved, pierced. His blood shed for you that you will never experience God's wrath. He took that for you. And you are permanently engraved. Your life, your wants, your heartaches, your joys, your worship on his hands and they will never and you will never be forgotten, forsaken. It is impossible. Because even Jesus 
in his resurrected state, made perfect as he rules and reigns in heaven, has kept what? Those engravements, those piercings, his love for you on his hands. Remember Thomas, when Jesus first appeared, wasn't with the disciples. And so when Thomas is with the disciples the second time, Jesus comes and he tells him this in John 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Can you imagine this? Then he goes to Thomas specifically. He doesn't yell at him. Doesn't degrade him. Doesn't slap him. But he said this. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Dear child of God, no matter your trouble, your trial, or your tribulation, you are never forgotten by Jesus, your Lord and Savior. For indeed, you are eternally inscribed upon the palms of his hands. For as God has told us in Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with us wounds, we are healed. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as you said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Do not disbelieve, but believe that in the midst of any trial or trouble or tribulation that we indeed are not forsaken or forgotten. Remind us how it was that it was your hands that made the world out of nothing. It was your hands that not only calmed the storms, but embraced the children. Oh Lord Jesus, it was your hands that washed the disciples' feet before you were nailed to the cross. And Jesus, it's your scarred hands that covered our sins past, 
present and future, which will one day make all things new and which we are always engraved upon them so that we can never be 